Our sermon text and gospel lesson today comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke 10, 38 through 42. And let me just remind you, this is God's word to us. It's given to us because he loves us. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is the gospel of our Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reading and now the preaching of your word. We ask that you would bless it, that you would speak to us, that you would open our eyes to be able to see and our ears to hear, our hearts and minds to understand what it is that you would say to us today, because yours is the voice that we need to hear, the voice calling out our names and bringing us back into focus, because yours is the voice of love. And we pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So this text that we have today is one that, of course, has been exegeted and interpreted down through the ages, and for the most part, it always pretty much falls out in pretty much the same way with slight variations, but basically the same. Don't be like Martha, be like Mary. St. Augustine interpreted this real life parable this way, Martha wants to feed Jesus, Mary wants to be fed by Jesus. Others have pitted this parable as, or this life story as the contemplative life versus the active life, the life of a monk versus the life of a lay person, and Mary's choice of contemplation is the superior one. Or Martin Luther, the great reformer, Mary is an example of the life of faith versus the life of works righteousness, which is Martha. Of course, Martin Luther would interpret it in that way. John Calvin, the other great reformer, said uh, that the lesson learned here is that Martha was preparing too lavish a meal, and Jesus wanted something more frugal because he's simple like that. Of course, maybe a modern uh, application or interpretation of this passage is that meditation is the superior way versus being constantly distracted by your cell phone or a feminist take on the life story. Martha doesn't recognize the liberation that Jesus is offering her by allowing women like her sister to participate in receiving teaching and discipleship. And it is true that Jesus bucked all sorts of cultural trends, especially by allowing women to be his disciples just as he welcomed and included many in ways that were not culturally acceptable at the time. And while that is true, I still think it doesn't quite get at what exactly we are to take away from this passage. I even evoked this passage once when uh, being interviewed for a promotional video for Campus Outreaches, which is a college Christian ministry, basically a 
poor knockoff of RUF, uh, mostly in the, the southeast. Uh, to, it was a promotional video to advertise their summer beach project. And basically, I was quoted as saying, there are lots of ways a Christian student in college could spend their summer, lots of good things that you could choose to do, but coming to Summer Beach Project was the superior one. So don't be like Martha, be like Mary, and choose the better one. And that video is unfortunately on YouTube, and I haven't yet figured out how to get it taken down, and no, I will not help you find it. Poor, poor Martha. Well, I've been on a kick uh, last week and this week uh, of saying that the point of these stories, these parables, whether it be the Good Samaritan last week or Martha and Mary this week, is not the lesson of be like this, don't be like that. So I'm not going to preach a be like Mary, don't be like Martha sermon today either. A few few pastors and theologians on this uh, part of the gospel that I did find helpful, one in, uh, was Thomas Keating, had proposed that it's not Martha's good works, it's not Martha's activity that Jesus pushes back on or disapproves of. I mean, he is about to be the beneficiary of those good works and all that activity, despite what John Calvin said about the meal being prepared. The point is not which lifestyle is more perfect. But where the intention, where the motivation, where the desires of those lifestyles is coming from? We can speculate all we want, but there's really only one thing Jesus points out about Martha that Jesus seems to be keying in on. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious. You are troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. In essence, Martha, why are you mad, okay? Why are you freaking out? Why are you anxious, troubled, fretful, flustered, frazzled, irritated, put out by so many things when only one thing is necessary? What I think is going on is that Martha is experiencing attachment to her activity from the shadow side of who she is as a beloved daughter of Christ. Her agitation is betraying her emotional programs for happiness that are currently being frustrated by this situation, and she ain't having it. She won't put up with it. Tell my sister to get off her you-know-what and come help me now. If Martha could have taken an an eogram of personality test, are you familiar with that test? Nine different personality types. I wonder if Martha would have been able to take an eogram. I wonder if she would have tested as a two, a number two. A number two is called the helper. Now, being married to a a eogram helper, I can testify that one of the primary things that makes a two a helper come undone is when they feel unappreciated and taken for granted for all the hard work that they do in order that others may flourish. Now, I know that from personal experience, not because I do that to her, but because our kids do that to her all the time. She gets really irritated about it, right? Believe that? 
Well, I don't take it for granted the past 11 days because she's been gone and I've been single parenting. And if you came to our house right now and you wanted a cup or a fork or a spoon, you would have to wash one out of the sink so that you could use it. Uh, if you needed clothes, there's currently a mountain of clean. It's clean laundry, okay? I washed it, but it's not folded. It's just the mountain of clean laundry. So everybody every day goes down to the living room and has, I need some underwear and some socks and, you know, whatever, and you pick it out. And I make fun, but listen, that's not what I appreciate about Jessie. That's not what I love about her. I'm not a misogynist pig. I don't just wish she was around to cook and clean and everything else that I hate to do. But I do appreciate that about her, and I miss it. But I can tell you that when she feels unappreciated or taken for granted, then she, yeah, she gets upset. She gets irritated. And it's certainly justifiable to be upset when others take for granted your sacrifices to help them in any situation. I mean, it doesn't just have to be chores or, or menial tasks, but as any healthy two, any healthy helper will tell you, even when people take it for granted, it's not worth letting it cause you to completely fall apart when it does. Even if helping and serving others is your thing, it's what makes you tick as a human being. There is a level of attachment to that driving motivation that can cause you to become disintegrated, to start to fall apart and lose control. And this, of course, applies to whatever your personality is. You don't have to be a helper. You can be a challenger, like I am. You can be an entertainer, like Jameson. You can be any number of things that drive you. And whenever you become too attached to that thing in ways that are not healthy or helpful, when it's threatened, when it's maybe taken for granted, these things can make you fall apart. And when that happens, you slide into your shadow side of who you are, your false self. And then you're not helpful to anyone, especially not yourself. Think of here a nod back to last week with the parable of the Good Samaritan where we looked at this interconnectedness, right, between love of self, love of others, and love of God. So getting back to Martha and Mary, I think Jesus is aiming at her intention for serving him, not the activity of her service itself. And that intention came from a false self. Our false self is not who we truly are in the eyes of love, in the eyes of the one who looks at Martha with compassion. Martha, Martha, you're not created to live this way. You're frustrated about so many things and you're not meant to be this way. Jesus is saying, I'm enough. Jesus is enough. Martha needs this practice of opening herself and surrendering to Jesus as he is. And I think there's the difference in what Mary is doing at this time, Mary's intention was to be present with Jesus, not as she wanted Jesus to be, not as she thought who Jesus should be, 
Not according to her emotional programming and what she thought Jesus needed to do for her to make her happy. Her intention is to simply just be with Jesus as he is. And that, some would say, is the goal of our Christian life, to make Jesus our portion and that portion be enough. And many of us need to hear the voice of love calling us to come and to sit and to be still and to do the same. So I ask you, what are you anxious about? What are you troubled about? What Are they legit things to allow you to get so flustered or do they betray where your heart truly lies? Do they betray what you have allowed your false self to emotionally program that you must have, you just gotta have it? If you're going to be happy and content, be your finances, your job, your kids, your spouse's bad mood, your to-do list, rude, selfish, entitled, inconsiderate people at your job or on the sidewalk or in traffic or town and country movers who parked in my parking space today, video games, your vacation time, your friend's Instagram account, your landlord, your neighbor, your neighbor's dog, the Mets, taxes, the Department of Buildings. That's my list. What's your list? Why are you anxious and troubled about so many things? Why do you attach your identity to them, your worth, your value, your recognition, your sense of beauty, your happiness. Again, Thomas Keating on this passage says, agitated is the key word. It means that she, meaning Martha, was attached to her activity or possibly Mary's inactivity. She was serving the Lord to please herself, not with a purity of heart that seeks to please God and to do what divine love would do in every situation. To be agitated or upset indicated that she was under the influence of the false self and withdrawn from the purity of divine inspiration. So this real life parable is a warning to both the Marthas and the Marys in the room today as it encourages us to seek this integration of both action and prayer. You see, what we're all looking for is the experience of prayerfully contemplating that Jesus is enough and then being able to go out from there and live it out in our daily routine and mundane often lives without this daily confrontation of these two things being only contemplative like Mary can stagnate into a privatized game of perfectionism, or that subtle poison of self-satisfaction that your prayer life is so spiritual that it's justifiable to withdraw from the needs of others and community. Of course, on the flip side, without without daily being renewed in prayer and contemplation and silence at the feet of Jesus, our active Martha in us becomes self-centered and forgetful of God. That kind of activism forgets that the point of all this hustle and activity is not us, it's Jesus. And when we do that, we easily become self-righteous and resentful of everyone who isn't on board with the cause as much as we are. 
whether it be racial injustice or taking part in doing the laundry. This real-life parable is teaching us to say we need both. We need both sides. Our true self lives in a place where Jesus is enough, where he is our portion that cannot and will not ever be taken away. I may not be enough. Do you feel that way? Just constantly feeling like you're just not quite enough? Well, I may not be enough, but I don't need to be. I can silence those commentaries, those running narratives in the back of my head, constantly accusing me that I am not enough. Because Jesus is plenty enough for me, for you, for all of us. And then so full of that life-giving presence that we are able then to go out and do likewise, not from a place of scarcity, but from a place of fullness, of truth, and of freedom. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you.